0: 1 John, or 1 John 1, starting at verse 1. This is God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of God. We are coming now to the start of our new series, Behold What Love. And uh, it's really an investigation into the Christian understanding of love. And we'll see that love is, is deep and it is wide, and it is life-changing, but as John will describe it over the next few weeks to us, love is absolutely knowable. It has shape, it has definition. You can can touch the kind of love that John's talking about. And so this comes up in in multiple ways throughout the letter, and over the next few weeks, really working up towards Christmas, we're gonna see the different ways that John presents this love. Behold, look, At this kind of love, and so today he takes love and the tangible evidence for that love, and he considers it in terms of gospel fellowship. And so, as we go through the passage today, we'll think of it in three under three headings. (coughs) First of all, John describes to us number one the principle of gospel fellowship. Number two, he describes to us the practice of gospel fellowship. And thirdly, he shows us the power for gospel fellowship. Principle, practice and power. So first of all, the principle of gospel fellowship. It's important here, by the way, um, that we understand what John is talking about because not only is this the beginning of today's sermon, but what we're looking at is the beginning of the rest of the letter. So it's important that we get a good grasp on what he's saying. And hopefully it becomes clear that he's not discussing some abstract philosophy, some concept out there, which sounds good. No, no, what John is discussing and bringing to the readers of his letter is something that he himself has experienced firsthand. He is an eyewitness to love. And you can see that in in verse 1, these words that he used. He says, that which we have heard with our ears, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon... We have touched with our hands. In verse 3, he goes on to say, We have seen and we have heard. See, John is not talking about some idea up there in the sky. He is talking about something that he has lived through and lived with, something that's physical and material. And it's not just a private revelation that he himself has received, but he says, We, that which we have seen, we have heard, we have shared. from the outset of this letter and the beginning of this series John who wrote this letter wants his readers to know beyond a shadow of doubt that he is speaking about something that he himself knows firsthand what exactly is that thing (coughs) we can see there in verse 1 and 2 and 3 he calls him the thing that he knows and has touched the word of life or the life that was made manifest or that which was with the Father was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about his relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. This is someone that John is describing that he has known for many years. This is a close friend of John's that he's talking about. John, of course, was a disciple of Jesus, he heard Jesus' teaching. He saw his miraculous works. He saw him turn water into wine at the wedding in Cana. He saw him raise Lazarus from the grave. He saw Jesus heal lepers. John is talking about someone with whom he laughed, who he embraced, who he shared meals with, who he journeyed with. He saw Jesus being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He saw him being denied justice. He saw him being crucified and died he saw blood and water flow from his side when he was pierced by a Roman centurion and on the third day this is the one that John is talking about whom was seen raised from the dead life himself Jesus meeting them on the beach beaming welcoming his friends back to him sharing breakfast with them again and so if anyone knows at the outset of this message and this series what the principle of Gospel Fellowship is, it is John. He knows the principle personally. It is, it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he calls him uh, different titles in this, in this opening section. He calls him the Word. He calls him life or eternal life. John knows the person. He knows the message. And so for John, eternal life is not just, again, a concept, it is a person. Moreover, the way to have eternal life is to to know Jesus, to have fellowship with him, just as John did, to call Jesus a friend. And so this, this is what John is proclaiming to his readers. He uses that word in verse 2 and verse 3, what he has seen and testified and, and proclaimed and holding out to his readers. This is the person who John is talking about. And the reason he does this, the point behind all this, he says it right there. So that you may have fellowship with us and with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ. That's the point that John is getting to in his opening section. He wants you and me and all the readers of this letter to have fellowship with God. This word fellowship, unfortunately, has sort of fallen on hard times, and it's it's kind of a weak word, particularly in in certain church circles. Uh, More often than not today, (coughs) fellowship refers to the bit after the church service, you know, where we uh, have a bit of a natter with some lukewarm tea or coffee. (coughs) But John's understanding of fellowship is so much more than that. We've already begun to see what he means by fellowship when he talks about his relationship with Jesus. It is not just a quick natter in passing. Fellowship for John is a deep relationship. It is a profound connection that he shares (coughs) with Jesus and through him, God. John is not offering his readers a quick cup of tea. He's offering fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, (coughs) also known as the eternal life, he is offering rich, unstoppable, eternal, vital life by knowing and having fellowship with Jesus. And so, when we want to understand this first part, <coughs> the principle of gospel fellowship, we have to know that that principle is deep, personal, relational connection to Jesus Christ as proclaimed by John and the other apostles elsewhere in the scripture. The principle of gospel fellowship is fellowship with Jesus. And it's important uh, for us to know that when we come to the Bible and we, we come to try and understand about Jesus and, and, and who he is and the content of our faith, we have to understand <clears throat> this is based on actual experience, the eyewitness accounts on people who saw Jesus and lived with him and heard him. They were there. and John couldn't be clearer about this in the first few verses of his letter. For many people today, even some Christians, faith is something blind. Faith for many people is a sort of leap into the darkness, a leap into the unknown. For many people faith is just a guess about what things may be in the future or a vain hope that someday everything will work out. But that's not the faith that the Bible presents us with specifically and especially that's not the faith that John is holding out for us in this letter. Faith in terms of what John is talking about is trust that the reported facts are true It is the conviction that what we're reading is correct and to be depended on. Faith is based on the evidence in the Bible. It's rational. It's not an irrational jump into the darkness and hope for the best. Let me ask you this this evening. If you are a Christian, does this not strengthen your faith? Knowing that you have good reason to believe what you believe. You have good reason to trust in Jesus because there is eyewitness and earwitness accounts of what he said and he did. And therefore your faith is not a best guess. It is based on the facts as presented in the Bible. But if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, then let me ask Why are you not a Christian? Have you made your conclusions based on the evidence of the Bible regarding Jesus Christ? And if so, why have you decided that they are not correct? Or let me put it another way. If you're not a Christian, what evidence do you have to the contrary that what the Bible teaches is incorrect? Because I firmly believe that at the last account, what the Bible teaches is true and dependable and has so much depth and evidence as opposed to the contrary. So first of all, we've seen the principle of gospel fellowship, which is fellowship with Jesus based on what John tells us and what he's experienced. That's the principle of gospel fellowship. But John is not content just to talk about this. He takes it then immediately, and as we'll see through the book, constantly he takes it to the practical level for John it's not enough to simply believe in something it has to make a difference in your life and so he takes us to the practice of gospel fellowship the practice or the life of gospel fellowship if you want and again it's based on his actual experience how do we get or know or enter into this fellowship with God and with one another. Well, we have to know the content of the message. And what is this message that John wants to give us? We've heard already, we've started to understand, it's about Jesus. Look down at verse 5. John is explicit and clear. This is what he wants us to know about God. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him, that is from Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's kind of an unusual way to understand God. What does it mean for God to be light? Well, let me just say this. It doesn't literally mean that God is made out of light as if he's some kind of spiritual light bulb or that he's the sum of all the light in the world and the moon and the stars and just together and that's God. No, 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 that's not what John is saying. But what he is saying is that God's character is pure light. I wonder when John wrote this, if he wasn't thinking about an occasion during the life of Jesus when John and his brother James and and, and their friend Peter went up the the mountain with with Jesus and it tells us in in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus' clothes and his body were were transfigured. His clothing became a dazzling white like looking at at a sheet of lightning. It didn't go away, it was almost a blinding light. And here he's saying God is light. Dazzling. Even the Apostle Paul saw or was met by Jesus, the glorified, resurrected Jesus on the way to Damascus. And again, he appeared as this blinding light, knocking Paul to his feet. And so this idea of God being light is seen in various places in the Bible but what exactly does it mean? for God to be light it means in him he is completely true and there is no falseness in him there is no pretense, no lie he is complete truth there are no shadows or doublespeak but also it means that he is morally pure and holy in him there is no evil or stain He is completely pure. He is completely true. God is light. But the point that we have to remember here is that this has a bearing on the people who claim to know God. When we say that God is light, there should be some connection between his people and the people who claim to know God and to have faith in God. God is, uh, for those who know God, they are to be radically shaped by this relationship and John is here saying seeing as God is in light and you are in fellowship with him you also are in the light God is truth he's saying and in you there should be complete truth God is purity and holiness and in you there should be purity and holiness there is no darkness in God there should be none in you who believe for John it is is black and white, this is is how the people of God in gospel fellowship should be according to John, they are to be full of truth, that is they are to be dependable and faithful and reliable and people of their word, they are to be full of light, that is complete purity and holiness and honourable towards God and one another. That is how God's people should be. And so when we think of the practice of gospel fellowship, John then moves to consider two threats that undermine or could undermine gospel fellowship. And again, I'm going to say this a few times tonight. We'll see this as we go on through the series. But there are a number of issues, a number of false teachings that that, that John is addressing through the letter. And we come up against a few here in verses 6 through 10. Threats to the gospel fellowship. The first threat, number one, is hypocrisy. Turns out there are people who say they have a foot in both camps. Look down at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It seems to be that there are some who claim they have fellowship with God, they know him, they believe in him, etc. And yet they live in a way that seems to deny that they know God at all. The hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. You know the term hypocrite? You know where it comes from? It comes from ancient Greek theatre. It turns out, if you went to a Greek theatre production, you'd pay your money, you'd go in, and the actors on the stage would wear masks that would portray the character that they are supposed to be in the role of. And clearly when they're speaking during the theatre it's not the actual person underneath but it's the, the mask that's doing the speaking. And the ancient Greek word for actor is hypocrites, something like that. Hypocrites, that's where we get the word from. Someone who has a mask on who wants you to see a certain side of them but in reality they're very different. And so we see those kind of people in verse 6. There's a group here who say that they are saved, they are Christian, that they believe, but their lives certainly don't match up to what they say they believe. They should be walking in the light, but in fact they're walking in the darkness. And these people, says John, they are lying. They do not practice the truth. They are living consistently, continually, walking in ways of darkness. They're not living in the way of light. So how can we tell, you and me? How can we tell whether we are walking in the light or walking in the darkness? Because according to John, this is a question of primary importance. If you know God, then you're walking in the light. If you don't know him, you're not walking in the light. How do we know? Well, John thankfully gives us a very specific and concrete way of knowing if we walk in the light or not, if we know God truly or not. He says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What's that word fellowship again? It's quite startling when you think about it. The evidence, says John, the you or I, and everyone in this room, the evidence that we are walking with God, we are walking in the light, is fellowship with people in your church. And as we've seen, fellowship is more than a concept. Fellowship is something that can be touched. Fellowship is something that can be seen and experienced. It's an embrace. It's the sharing of a meal. Fellowship is the going through the highs and lows together. It is the laughing and crying together. It is praying for and with people. It is serving and being served. And John is saying, that is what you should be doing and experiencing and living in if you claim to know God. It's a see, say versus you see kind of thing. If you say you're in fellowship, you must see fellowship in your life. And so... That is his test against the hypocrisy of people who say they believe and yet they live in the darkness. The first threat is hypocrisy. But then John sort of moves on to the second threat to the gospel fellowship, which is this. It is arrogance. Look down at verse 8 with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Likewise, in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Some people in the churches that John is writing to claim that they are sinless. Most likely, they deny that they have sinned since they came to faith in God. So they claim. And from time to time, we see people within the history of the Christian church who have taught this as well that it is possible in this life and indeed desirable to be completely sinless this side of heaven to achieve some kind of spiritual breakthrough using language such as yielding yourself to God or letting go and whilst there might be a genuine desire in such Christian groups to know God and have a deep sense of his presence this passage rules out the option of attaining sinfulness in this life We might not face that issue here directly at Foundation Church. You won't catch me saying, I've not sinned since I come to faith in Christ. I'm not going to sin until he comes again. That's clearly not going to happen. And those of you who know me know that that's not ever going to be true either. Um, But we might see this indirectly as a church. It might happen when we start going a bit soft on what the Bible clearly describes as sin when we start saying that sin is not really sin at all or rather it's not that bad if we start redefining sin and softening the edges somehow that's when we might start to act and behave and think that we are somehow sinless because we don't follow what the Bible teaches regarding sin whether it's issues such as the sanctity of life or human sexuality or respectable sins such as gossip or pride or coveting, if we fail to call them out and label them as sin, as the Bible clearly does, then we'll start to become like the people that John was talking about in these verses, claiming that we have no sin. That stuff is not sin. We can live as we please. But in response to this, John says of these people, have got it all wrong. They're deceiving themselves, verse 8. They're calling God a liar, verse 10, when he's actually been very clear where he stands. God is light. And instead, these people in the churches charge God with darkness and falsehood. So we thought about the principle of gospel fellowship which is fellowship with Jesus Christ, the one who John tells us about. we thought about the practice of gospel fellowship, walking in the light as he is in the light and not walking in the darkness. But what about the power for gospel fellowship? Where do we get the power to actually live this stuff, to actually do it, to actually enter into it? How do we get there? In other words, how do we know eternal life? How can we share in the apostles' joy in verse 4? Well, John gives us the answer towards the end of verse 7. He says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The power for gospel fellowship is found in the blood of Jesus. And this is quite literally the crucial factor. If you remember nothing else today, go home remembering those words. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It is important that we get this part straight. John is saying, if we walk in the light and have fellowship with one another, it is because the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us. In other words, if we're walking in the light and having fellowship with one another, it is proof or demonstration that you and I and everyone in this church have been made clean by Jesus. What John is not saying is that living a certain life and walking in a certain way earns your cleansing from Jesus. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, you cannot know God and walk in the light unless we are cleansed from our sin. And again, as the weeks go on and John returns to this subject again and again, we will see exactly how his blood, how the blood of Jesus cleanses people. But let me just say this very briefly here. According to Old Testament religion, people are made ceremonially clean by being sprinkled by blood the blood of a perfect animal sprinkled on them makes them clean in God's sight and what John is saying here is that Jesus the Son of God fulfilled that role by his death on the cross and his blood being poured out and sprinkled upon his people he made his people spiritually clean by his blood and this right here is the power for gospel fellowship you might be sitting here or or listening and, and thinking you know what, it's okay for good people it's okay for religious people or good living people they will receive that cleansing of their sin but not for people like me sometimes we think I have sins that are so deep and so bad and so long-standing that there is no way that someone like me can be made clean by Jesus. That's for the religious people. But I want to point out what is clearly written by John in the Bible, in this text. Look at verse 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from what? All sin. All types of all kinds, all numbers of sin. And so on the basis of that verse alone, let alone hundreds of others in the Scriptures, do not think that you are too far gone, that you are too sinful, that what you did in the past is too bad to be cleansed by Jesus. According to John here and elsewhere in the Scriptures, all over the Scriptures, nothing is too great for him to forgive. All sin can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and it gets greater still. You see where it says, cleanses us. It's not exactly clear necessarily in our English translation but the original tense, the Greek tense behind that is a perfect tense. It means his blood cleanses us and continues to cleanse us. It is a continual effect of the blood of Jesus. So that means your sins now, your sins in the past, and your sins in the future can and will and are being cleansed by nature of the blood of Jesus that he spilt on the cross when he died 2,000 years ago. And you can see right here how you can be made clean and how you're able to come into fellowship with God through Jesus, that deep relationship, that special friendship because of his blood. That's the power of gospel fellowship. And in case you're wondering how to receive that, how to actually make that your own, John does not leave us wondering. Look at verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. See, if you want to receive that cleansing, if you want to know that forgiveness, that John tells us how to receive it, it's by confessing our sins this is not the same by the way as going into a little box and speaking to the priest or a pastor that might help you but that's not what john is talking about here confessing our sins is just a case of being honest before god who knows everything anyway it is a case of choosing not to cover it up or minimizing our sin but being open before the god who is light you know, in my little flat where I live in Cumber with my family, um, <clears throat> we don't have a lot of natural light. In fact, there's a couple of hours in the morning from about half past ten up to lunchtime where there's direct light. The rest of the time, the light has sort of bounced off the other building that's next to us. And sometimes I'm sitting there in the morning and I love the sun and it's so good when it comes out. But when I'm sitting there and thinking hard about God or something like that. The light comes out and it's only then when the light comes out that I start to notice all the dust and, 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 the, and the bits of rubbish and by the way you know I'm in charge of cleaning as much as anyone else is so this is my fault entirely but my point is this you can only see the rubbish when the light comes out it's only when we come to God who is light, that we start to realise the sin that we have and, and yet God doesn't leave us there. He gives us this opportunity to confess our sin on the basis of the fact that he is a loving father, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us and cleanse us when we come to him honestly and humbly. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the power of gospel fellowship. Remember those two threats to gospel fellowship, hypocrisy and arrogance? Well, the blood of Jesus destroys both of those things. It destroys arrogance because what we're saying in gospel fellowship in the church is that none of us are sinless. We all need to confess our sins together. It destroys arrogance because we all admit we're sinners and we need Jesus. And that's what binds us together. That's what defines gospel fellowship. We can't sit and think I'm better than you. I haven't sinned like you. I don't do those kind of things that you do in your life. We are all sinners in need of cleansing. (coughs) That's why we confess our sins every week here at Foundation. Destroys arrogance. Arrogance. We are all sinners who need grace from Jesus. But it crushes hypocrisy, that second threat. We are dramatically and radically affected by the good news of Jesus. And we know that as God is in the light and we walk in the light, our actions and thoughts should be in the light. Therefore, none of us can say we know God and yet walk in darkness. And it crushes hypocrisy. Instead, as a group, as a church, we come together and we say, let us together, because of God and who he is. Let us walk together in the light. Let us come into fellowship with each other. There is no place for hypocrisy here. There is no place for arrogance here. All because of the blood of Jesus. This is what motivates our commitment to one another here in this church. <coughs> That's why we commit to doing life together, to being loved and loving in return, to caring for one another and being cared for, to helping and serving one another and being helped and served in return, to building up and strengthening one another, to eating, laughing and crying together. This is what Gospel Fellowship is all about. We're going to finish our sermon just now with a little time to reflect. I wonder what, in all of this we've been talking about, what has most challenged you we're going to have a few moments, just a quiet, a time to confess, maybe for the first time, sins that you have minimized or put to one side or you've never been totally open before. A time of quiet. I know we've had times of confession already in our service, but on the basis of what we've been learning, it's important that we have time to respond. Maybe you need to do this just now, maybe particularly for the first time, being honest with God. So a few moments of silence and reflection, and then we'll pray together as we close in song. A few moments of quiet. Father God, would you apply your word to us this evening? By your Holy Spirit, would you empower us to come and receive forgiveness and cleansing? by recognising our need for Jesus and for his blood to be applied to us. Would you give us the strength to believe and trust in your word as we have it in scripture? Would you give us the joy of knowing that you have forgiven all of our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness? May that sink deep down to the very basis of our soul. May our fellowship with one another express the depths and the riches of our fellowship with you. You, God, our light. Empower us to walk in the light. For your glory and for your namesake. Amen.